want you to take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Let's stand as we open the Word of God. Looking forward to a low country bull tonight. And um, some of you are thinking, yeah, like you need it. Um, <laughs> looking forward to that. And, the, uh, and, and so men, boys, as uh, Pastor Ben said, if, if, as long as you have um, a sick wife and an infant at home, you can bring your daughter too, right? But, uh, and, if, and if Karis isn't willing to babysit for you, I guess. Uh, I don't see Karis. I better ask her permission for that one. Um, <laughs> Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. I think we could say it, or the way she should go, either one. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Father, give us the wisdom of your Holy Spirit and your supernatural grace to help us not only understand this, but to apply it, to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We did a little quiz uh, in our men's Bible study. Uh, I challenged a few of the guys to at least watch this uh, quiz on video. It was shared by Robert Lewis. Actually, the guys who wrote the quiz, his name is Dave Barry. So I'm going to let you take a little quiz. It's called the Guy Quiz to determine whether or not you're one of the guys. All right, here we go. Here's the guy quiz. See how you answer this. Ladies, I guess you're exempt from this, but tell me if you understand whether or not you're married or have one of these guys in your home. Aliens. Here's number one. Aliens bring a highly advanced, aliens from a highly advanced society visit the earth and you are the first human they encounter. As a token of intergalactic friendship, they present you with a small but incredibly sophisticated device that is capable of curing all disease, providing an infinite supply of clean energy, wiping out hunger and poverty, permanently eliminating oppression and violence all over the entire earth. So you decide, A, to present it to the President of the United States, B, present it to the Secretary General of the United Nations, or C, Take it apart. All right, guys would say it's C, right? All right, number two, as you're growing older, what lost quality of your youthful life? You might have seen some of the more younger years on this video just a moment ago. Youthful life, what do you miss the most? A, innocence. B, idealism. C, cherry bombs. Guys will say C on all of these, by the way. When is it okay for a man to kiss another male. When you wish to display simple and pure affection without regard for narrow-minded social conventions. B, when he is the Pope and not on his lips. Or C, when he is your brother and you are Al Pacino. And this is the only real sportsmanlike way to let him know that for business reasons you have to have him killed. <laughs> Guys say... See, <laughs> what about uh, hugging another male? A, if he's your father and at least one of you has a fatal disease. B, if you're performing the Heimlich maneuver, and even in this case, you should repeatedly shout, I'm just dislodging food trapped in this male's trachea. Or C, if you're a professional baseball player and a teammate hits a home run to win the World Series. And you also must pound him fraternally with your fist enough to cause fractures. Guys would say, C. In your opinion, the ideal pet is A, a cat, 
B, a dog, or C, a dog that eats cats? (laughs) And the guys would say, C, all right. Anybody passing so far? All right, we've got a few guys here. You have been seeing, uh, now this is for single guys, obviously. You have been seeing or dating a lady for several years. Several, wow. She's attractive and intelligent, and you always enjoy spending time with her. One leisurely afternoon, the two of you are taking it easy. You're watching a football game, and she's reading the paper. When suddenly, out of the clear blue sky, she tells you that she thinks she really loves you. But she can no longer bear the uncertainty of not knowing where your relationship is going. She says she's not asking whether you want to get married, only whether you believe you have some kind of future together. What do you say? A, that you sincerely believe the two of you do have a future, but you don't want to rush it. B, that although you also have strong feelings for her, you cannot honestly say that you'll be ready anytime soon to make a lasting lifetime commitment, and you don't want to hurt her by holding out false hope. Or C, you cannot believe that Bobo called a draw play on 3rd and 17. And the guys would say, C, one weekday morning your wife wakes up feeling ill and asks you to get the three children ready for school. Obviously, this is for the married guys. Your first question to your wife is, do they need anything to eat? That's A. B, they're in school already? Or C, there's three of them? (laughs) And uh, one more. When is it okay to throw away a set of veteran underwear? A, when it has turned the color of a dead well and developed new holes so large that you're not sure which ones were originally intended for your legs. B, when it is down to eight loosely connected underwear molecules and has to be handled with tweezers. Or C, it is never okay to throw away veteran underwear. And the real guy says, C, He goes on to say a real guy even checks the garbage regularly to make sure his wife hadn't thrown away a pair of his favorite underwear. Are you one of the guys or not? Um, I wasn't going to share this. This this last one, I think, probably sets up the message. You're like, where where in the world is he going with this? Why is he saying this? Uh, I'll share this last one. What, in your opinion, is the most reasonable explanation for the fact that Moses led the Israelites all over the place for 40 years before they finally got to the promised land. A, he was being tested. B, he wanted them to really appreciate the promised land when they got there. Or C, Moses' ladies refused to do what? Ask for directions. Sometimes we don't want to ask for directions. And that's a little bit more of where we're going, I guess, this morning. We're asking God for some directions. We're all saying we need help. None of us are perfect. There's not a perfect family in here. Why are there there no perfect churches? Because there's no perfect families, no perfect individuals. We are all in great need of the grace of God, and we need wisdom with this training process. When we talk about visionary parenting, we're talking about vision based on mission, like everything we've discussed for the past six weeks Vision based on mission. The mission of believers is to go into the world and make disciples. Therefore, the vision 
for parenting, visionary parenting, has to do with making disciples. That's a responsibility of this pastor, this church, this staff, every leader. We're all about making disciples, but I'm telling you, it can't happen unless it's also the responsibility of every home. And I would even say that's the foremost place for making disciples. Uh, Several years ago, when we decided that we needed to to uh, simplify things a little bit and make sure that we focus some, some ministry strategy on certain areas like Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, make those big times. We use Sunday nights for a plethora of things that we want to engage people in. But we did away with a, a Sunday evening worship service that we used to have. And, and I had pastor friends and others say, why in the world would you stop having a Sunday evening worship service? And I pointed out, well, you know, nowhere in the Bible that it, does it say, I mean, the Bible says the Lord's day is sacred, and it says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but it doesn't say thou shalt have two worship services every Sunday, one Sunday morning, Sunday evening. And an evangelist friend of mine said, I understand that it says that, that the Bible doesn't say you have to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, every time the doors open, all that. He said, but I can't get, I can't get enough of this book into their hearts just on Sunday morning. And I said, you know what? I can't get enough of this book in their hearts on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There's not enough time on the few times if we met three or four days a week to get the Word of God into your hearts. What I had rather know is taking place is that on Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, whenever we gather, special events, discipleship opportunities, that we're equipping the home, that we're giving parents ministry tools so that throughout the week, you're constantly investing the truth into their lives. It's not the pastor's responsibility, not the youth pastor's responsibility to make sure our kids have the Word of God and the truth of God in their lives. That's the vision for parenting. We are supplementing that. We're like a Sunday mornings for the churches, Dr. Tony Evans said years ago, it's kind of like a huddle. You know what I'm saying, what a a huddle is? Uh, When the huddle meets in a football game, they're they're calling the plays. They're saying, hey, here's what we're going to run. This is what the coach has said. Here's the strategy. we got to do the huddle is where the play is called. And there can be a lot of enthusiasm. There can be a lot of passion. Some quarterbacks like Peyton Manning just calls a play. Others try to slap everybody on the head and say, we got to get fired up. There's all kinds of huddles. Huddles are done different ways. Some huddles are less passionate. Some are more passionate. But those gathered in the stadium, I know in Sanford Stadium, 92,000 fans are not concerned so much with how you run your huddle. They want to know one thing. Having huddled, can you execute the play? Having huddled, can you execute the play? Where are the plays executed? In your home, in my home, in our workplace, in our schools, wherever we find ourselves throughout the week. That's why the family is so important. We are that foundational unit for society. And when it comes to bringing up kids, bringing up the next generation, there are three areas of vision that I want to mention to you just briefly. The first one is this in this text. It's disciplinary vision. Disciplinary vision. That's not a popular word, is it? He says, train up. Discipline isn't punishment. Now, punishment can be a minor part of, the kids love when I say minor part, a minor part of the overall picture of discipline, but discipline is better defined as training than it is defined as punishment. Sometimes we wonder why our kids get upset with us because we spend more time trying to punish them for what they did wrong rather than train them in what to do right. Training them and rewarding them 
for what is pleasing to God. So we're to train them up. Training, making a disciple. By the way, that's where we get our word discipline from disciple, training, making disciples. Discipleship is a process that's taking place in the home. And it has to take place in the context of a relationship. And there's no greater relationship for discipleship than parenthood. The parent-child relationship. Pastor, parishioner, school teacher, student, Those are good relationships, but the greatest relationship for making disciples is that relationship between the parents and the kids. Parenthood is that nurturing relationship. The problem is we focus often on the behavior rather than on the beliefs and the values. Let me give you something that uh, we received, some of us that were, I know Pastor Ben was at this conference uh, with Josh McDowell some time ago, but he gives us a pyramid, and, and you can imagine that this this particular pyramid or triangle is a, an iceberg. What do you see when you see an iceberg? You only see the tip of the iceberg, right? Well, at the top of this triangle, this, this iceberg, if you will, what you see above the water is behavior. So we'll put the word behavior up there because when we observe people in this world, we see their behavior. And we make all kinds of conclusions based on their behavior. But because we see behavior, most of us slip into this thing called behavior modification. Let's just do what we have to do to change their behavior. And if we do that for 18 years and they go off to college and we only focus on behavior, then all of a sudden, out of sight, out of mind, it's not going to last. We've got to be thinking a lot deeper. (laughs) We've got to go a lot further below the surface than behavior modification. The next level, what informs behavior is values. When people have values, those values will determine their behavior. Behavior indeed communicates what is valuable. But there's something even deeper than values. Where do we get our values from? Why do we value what we value? See, that goes back to our thoughts, our beliefs. So the next level is beliefs. You have behavior, you have values, You have beliefs, what we truly believe in the core, not what we say we believe when we're at church, but what we truly believe deep down in our heart will cause us to value certain things and not value other things, and based on how we value and what we value will become our behaviors. See, the problem for a lot of young people in America today, we get, you know, frustrated with this generation of teenagers or children that are coming up, and we immediately often assume Wasn't enough discipline there. Wasn't enough behavior modification. We say, I've said it, you've said it. My dad recognized this when I was little. He could see other kids and say, boy, they've never had a spanking. You know, that kid needs a spanking. You know, behavior modification. By the way, I'm not, you know, I'm not Dr. Spock. I'm not going to tell you it's wrong to spank your kids. If you want want somebody else to tell you that, turn on Oprah or something else. But But what I am saying is if you focus on discipline, on behavior modification, you're not going deep enough. Now, for years, Josh McDowell shared that he taught this paradigm, beliefs, values, behavior, and that we weren't spending enough time instilling beliefs. And then he said, but he was missing a level. There is something that has to be foundational for beliefs, and that is a relationship. Without a relationship, we do not have the means by which to communicate and share our beliefs. Richard Ross, who now is uh, a professor in in the area of student ministries and 
family ministry at Southwestern Seminary. Uh, at one time, he worked with Lifeway. We had him come here and do a conference years ago. And he said that every parent should build a pipeline from their heart to their kid's heart called a relationship. I'm going to get Kent to come help me demonstrate this. So, Kent, if you'll come up here just for a second, I'm going to move the, um, the, the pulpit over a little bit so most of you can see what we're doing here with this illustration. But if you'll step up here with me, Kent, for just a second. I'm going to let this pipe that comes from a Fortune Well Company. I'm going to let this pipe represent the relationship. Now, what do a lot of folks do? They, they, they take the values, the beliefs, and they throw them at their kids, and they shout them at their kids, and if they're not careful, they will never build the relationship. You need to shoot that, those values, those beliefs, down the pipe through a relationship. Now, it's not downhill as much as it used to be, um, so I'm going to need a little help. And that does kind of illustrate, let's see, if you'll just sit right here, Kent, that does kind of illustrate that you only have so many years, right, <laughs> to pass those values from your heart to their heart. Tina, if you'll pitch me that um, bag right there. One of the uh, college students this morning asked me about the fact that this was an NC State bag, so I got to talk. That's right. Tina says it's a good bag. Diehard wolf pack. And they were too, so that you'd be glad to know that. Um, so we have some stuff in the bag here that you say, okay, what are some things that you might value? Well, um, in Madison County, when it comes to a father-son, a lot of times it's stuff that has to do with sports. So I thought about some sports that we've shared together over the years. Um, really, this is one that I fueled NASCAR because he got into it because he was born in North Carolina. So I kind of fueled that. We shared a lot of experiences. So it, you know, from my heart to his heart, those things Kind of, you know, father values it, so what does the son do? Like I said, in, in, in Madison County, a lot of times it's sports. Um, he's going to give tennis a try this year, so I want to invest in that a little bit. My heart to his heart. Uh, baseball, we did about, I guess, 10 years of baseball together. A lot of fun. Now he's quitting on me. Anyway, pass that value down. Um, a <laughs> lot of values. What, what are they pass? How does that take place? It takes place best... In the context of relationship, the pipe is the relationship. A lot of times we're passing down values that, that we may or may not realize we're doing a good job at. Here's a picture of our family. Do I want Kent to value family? Absolutely. So it's got to be something that's dear in my heart. And through the relationship, I want to send family from my heart to his heart. I want him to value family. Other things in here, you know, he gets to a certain age, and this is scary, but he's going to start driving, right? And so who better to spend time with their son, teach them how to drive, all that fun stuff. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to pass all of my standards down. But anyway, how, how to uh, value. If it's important for me, it, it could be important to him if the relationship is there. There are a lot of sermons that I have written, um, letters that I have written, other things that weren't just for the church, the things that I wanted to pour into his heart. So the, the pen just represents those things I've written on his heart throughout the years. My heart to his heart. It's all in a relationship. But what I wanted to ask you guys this morning, oh, by the way, again, it could be intentional or unintentional. Well, we got it. A lot of this came out of Kent's room. Um, here's a movie ticket for uh, Georgia Square Cinema 5. Most of you recognize that's the cheap movies. And uh, that's, that's the movies we go see. Uh, the cheap movies, 
Uh, this one was Soul Surfer. We got in for a buck ninety-nine. That's pretty good. Well, the movies I see, the movies I let be shown in my home, the movies I take my family to, I'm passing values from my heart to his heart, whether I intend to or not. This is a $10 iTunes card. This was a $10 iTunes card. I think it's been used. Music. What kind of music do I let him download? Do I even know what kind of music he's downloading? What kind of music do I listen to when we're in the car? You know, they got upset with me the other day for wanting to listen to classical music, but that's okay. Um, Values. My heart to his heart. Those things, constantly, those things are being passed from me to him. But the question will arise, what have I done with the beliefs? What, what do I believe about the Word of God, the truth of God? Am I just going to pass those other things through the context of relationship and just throw the Bible at him? Or do I want to say there's a relationship, there's a heart connection? The Word of God is going from my heart to his heart. Those are beliefs, values. We need that relationship to be intact. Why is it so important to have a good relationship with your children? Because it's in the context of that relationship that the values are being passed down. That's the discipline. That's the training. That's the bringing up the next generation. Y'all give Ken a hand. Thank you, bud. I'm going to let you take all that with you as he cleans that up. Let me say this about the relationship here. There's two extremes. Um, one extreme is what I mentioned a moment ago. The relationship's not there. And because the relationship's not there, you're trying to throw values, you're trying to throw morals, you're trying to throw standards, and you haven't spent time to nurture the relationship. And you wonder why they're not embracing it, and it's because you haven't nurtured the relationship. The other extreme, and I see this happen a lot among Christians, they've heard that they need to spend time with their family and they have the relationship, and so they have this heart connection, and they're glad, and they're worshiping the relationship, and they're like, this is awesome. I have a relationship with my kids. They love me, and I love them, and we're getting along. But they're not sending anything down the pipe. And I find myself thinking, man, they've, they've got a good relationship with their kids, but they just won't speak truth into their lives. And both are necessary. You can't just throw the truth. You can't just throw convictions at them. You've got to have the relationship. But if you have the relationship, don't leave it empty. Don't have an empty pipe. Pour those values because those kids are growing. And one day, as you heard a moment ago, those watercolor ponies are going to ride away and you're not going to be able to invest as much in their life after that. Psalm 26 and verse 3 says, For your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in your truth. What was David saying about God? Because you love me, I'm walking in your truth. The relationship laid a foundation for truth to be communicated. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, Speak the truth in love. It's not enough just to shout the truth at them. Son, daughter, I know what I'm talking about. You better listen to me. Speak the truth in the context of a loving relationship. So don't be guilty of either extreme, having the relationship but not passing values or not having the relationship and slinging your values. You know, have the relationship, pass your values, bring them up, train them, teach them. You only have so long. And then I want to move to the next part of this verse, and we'll call this directional vision. Direction of vision. Train up a child, how? In the way he or she should go. In the way they should go. Like the direction, uh, this was kind of, in the sense of what we would today say, the direction of a campaign. Where are we going with this campaign? 
the direction of some kind of program, the direction of a business, if you establish a business, when that business is a young and new business, you are trying to determine what's the direction, which way are we going with this business. And you want to decide that in the early stages to have the most profound effect. This is the personal application, the way they should go. We're not now just talking about the truth and discipline and getting everything right and knowing the difference between right and wrong. That starts with the training. But when it comes to the application of truth, we're all in different seasons of life and we're made in different ways. So this is personal application of training, taking those right beliefs. By the way, right beliefs are the same for everybody. If it's true theologically, if it's true doctrinally, then it's true for everybody. Uh, Jude, verse 3, says, I'm seeking to deliver the faith that, uh, that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so there was the faith, there was genuine truth that was once for all established in the life of believers. But when it comes to the application of the Christian life, of truth in our lives, we're all at different places, different seasons. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll expounds upon this text, and he says, what it's really saying in the Hebrew is bring up your children according to their bent. Find out how they were designed and help them discover their God-given call and purpose in their life. Bring them up according to their bent. If you don't understand how God uniquely designed your child for what he has in store for them, then you may browbeat them into some kind of direction that they were never intended to go. I've owned one brand new car in my life. I I believe that, um, I guess, going back to what I uh, heard Christian financial leaders say for years, it's better to buy a car after the um, depreciation has left. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, I I stepped into one of those occasions about uh, 10, 11 years ago and got me a brand new Kia Rio. I thought, man, you you just, you can't beat this deal. I took advantage of it. It was a wonderful car until I got it paid off. And as soon as I got that thing paid off, I don't know why they do this um, 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty because it only takes me three years to get 100,000 miles, so that 10 years is extremely deceptive. Um, but that, I'd, I'd reached that 100,000 miles a long time ago, and, uh, and, and I, just, I blew the engine in that car. Now, I don't know why I bought a car with a half-liter engine that was about, not bit, much bigger than the one I held up here just a second ago. But I know this, and it was a, uh, it was a little five-speed, and it needed about two more gears. But I drove it harder than it was designed to drive. I really did. And I remember when I went to seminary in Memphis, there were places, I loved it, there were places on the interstate between Nashville and Memphis that uh, the speed limit was 75, and I rationalized a little bit more than that, um, confessing my sins to you this morning. The car was not designed for that. It was designed to drive. It was designed for somebody who lives in an apartment in Athens, Georgia, and works for the university and only drives a few miles each way and uh, maybe 35, 40 miles per hour at the most. And, and I'm sitting here, I'm on the gas, and that, the engine is holding on for dear life. So as soon as I get that thing paid off, the engine blows. It's got, you know, car's messed up. I really believe that I was trying to get the car to do what it was never designed to do. Some of us wonder why our kids blow up, why our kids get mad, why they crash, 
Well, because a lot of times we're trying to get them to do things they were not designed to do. Train up a child in the way they should go. Let me ask you a few questions. What are your kids? Think about your kids, your grandkids. What are their spiritual gifts? What are those things they do well naturally? What are they hardwired for? What motivates them? What doesn't come so naturally to them? We recent, I had the staff recently do a little personality assessment that shows you, and some of the other men in our church have done this before, some people work better with data, some people work better with people, some people work better with things. So, so what about your kids? Do they work better with data, people, or things? If somebody's skilled enough with things to be an engineer and you try to force them to work with people, they may not be doing what they were hardwired to do. If somebody's got a gift of working with people and you're wondering, you know, why are they the classroom comedian and always getting in trouble at school and, and trying to be everybody's entertainer when they should be working with the data in the classroom? Well, maybe one day they're going to be very skilled with working with people. Find out what they are designed for, how God uniquely designed them, and fuel that, invest in that. Teach them to walk with Jesus and to hear his voice and be willing to do what God is calling them to do. Don't try to, listen, dads, again, I sound like I'm picking on the men here. Don't try to live out your dreams that were never fulfilled through your sons. Be careful about that. Well, you're going to play ball because I said you're going to play ball. I played ball, and uh, I wasn't that great, but you're going to be great. I, I get so frustrated, and I know that, that Jason, Jeff, some of you umpires, you never see dads trying to live out their dreams in the life of their kids, but um, <laughs> it happens. Find out how God uniquely designed them and help them to hear his voice and get in on it. A good education, things like that, those things are necessary and, and they open up other opportunities, but find out what they're called to be about. Give them a, a variety of experiences and listen to them when they say they like certain opportunities and they don't like opportunities. Now, if they don't like to eat their vegetables, tough, make them eat their vegetables. If they don't like to take out the trash, discipline them to take out the trash. But there are certain areas of life where we push our, our, our children so hard to do something they were not hardwired, they were not bent to do. Find out how God uniquely designed them. And then you will see the third vision here, third area vision, is what I call destiny vision. It's when they are old. He says, if you do this, train up a child in the way they should go. So now you've got the directional vision that's been added to the disciplinary vision. Then here's the destiny. When they are old, they will not depart from it. You want to keep in mind your purpose as a parent all along is to bring up a generation of disciples that they are able to live out a life to the glory of God. See, here's the thing, parents. The responsibility of our kids isn't first and foremost to make mom and dad look good. And when we're parenting out of not wanting our kids to embarrass us, we're going to make a lot more mistakes. Now, hey, I've been guilty. I mean, man, you have to grow up preacher's kids. Well, this, you know... What will they think of the pastor's house if you don't live right, right? So I've, I've been guilty. I'm there with you, parents. We, we, we make those mistakes. Their goal is not to not embarrass mom and dad. Our, our goal is to see that they bring glory to Almighty God, that they learn to know and love and to serve Him. 
Going back to our, our vision for life that we saw as we began this series in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, where he says, I, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding and bearing fruit in every good work. Listen, it's more important for me that my kids know the will of God than they know the will of Dad. And it's my responsibility to help them to see the Word of God and to understand how the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and speaks it into their lives personally. And we stress over where they're going to go to school or the jobs they're going to take or how they're going to reflect on their parents. We need to remember it's not about us. It's not about them. It's about him. John, in 1 John 1.4, he says, there's, there's no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. No greater joy than to know that my kids are walking in the truth. That's the greatest joy that I could find. Not that they were the most successful businessman, business lady. Not that uh, they were the graduated at the top of their class. Hey, that's cool. Not that they scored the most touchdowns, hit the most home runs. No greater joy for me will be to know that they're walking in the truth of God's word. Whatever it is that they're called to do, wonderful, I'm behind it, as long as they're walking in the truth. There's a lot of um, investment commercials. I can't remember the investment firm that does these commercials, but I've seen the investment commercials lately where um, the man is saying, I'm you, (laughs) when you're much older. And by the way, we turn out all right. You made the right choices. You made the right investments. And there is a sense of Christian stewardship and responsibility when it comes to financially investing. But more important than that, when we're investing into our kids' lives, the pipe is in place. We're sending the values, godly values. That's the investment that brings the greatest return because it's not something you cash in at the end of this life. It lasts forever and ever and ever as we lay up treasures in heaven. Can you think about this for a moment? The will of the Father for his own son was that he go to a cross. That wouldn't be popular for any family today, but the the will of the Father for his son was that he go to a cross. God the Father said concerning his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but your will be done, even though it was taking him to a cross for me and for you. And, and we might have a hard time if our kid says, you know, I believe God's calling me to the mission field. Now, wait a minute. You can't do that. We come up with reasons why they can't do what God's calling them to do. But let's invest in them. Let's make sure that relationship's in place. Send those values. Help them to see that they can have a destiny. They can have a legacy. One of my personal prayers for my kids is that they will be more fruitful for the kingdom of God than Tina and I could ever be. That's a destiny that that is a vision from God. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?